Alright you guys, welcome back to Freedom Papers. This is Morgan Zeggers. I'm with Micah Bach. I used to call him Mika on accident. I've never forgiven her for it. <laughs> <laughs> he's a very close friend of mine and now he's a Turning Point ambassador and he's in town to do TPUSA Live and I said, wait, I think this studio is open. Let's do an episode. Um, so, we are continuing. Micah missed it, but I covered one of my favorite papers to discuss Federalist Paper 26 last time. Um, and then we had a couple guests on and stuff. But the last paper we did was 26. It was the idea of restraining the legislative authority in regard to the common defense considered. It was by Hamilton. And you guys, it was a big miss. Um, I was explaining to Micah that I had such a good time with it because Hamilton's like, guys, don't worry. We won't have tyranny and the weaponization of the military against the people to oppress them because it's controlled by the legislature, not the executive. And it has to have a budget approved every two years, which is a very slow moving process. Don't worry. Those kind of things take a lot of time and a lot of um, energy to be weaponized against the people. Don't worry at all. And what do you know? And so we talked a lot. Micah, if you haven't seen the episode, I don't know. <laughs> I'm assuming you watched it. I will let you just say mom on this. There you um, go. We talked a lot about how, yeah, maybe the military specifically isn't used against the people to oppress us actively. But instead, what is being weaponized in an oppressive way against us to keep us in check in a tyrannical mm. way, in my opinion, is the bureaucracy under the executive branch. And so we've had guests on. We've had Paul Gosar on. and. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorite podcast episodes with this where he breaks down what happened because, yeah, Hamilton's like, don't worry, this is a legislature kind of situation. We have separate branches of government and, and they control the funding. They control the creation of laws. And so they can only have that kind of impact on the people. Well, Paul Gosar explains these big, huge bills that are passed by the legislature that hand over spending power, funding and decision making power to the executive branch bureaucratic offices and agencies. And then that is used to weaponize the people. And that's how you end up with things like the puppy torture funded by Dr. Fauci. Yeah, exactly. So we went through a fun uh, conversation last episode. And then you guys, number 27 that we're going to talk about today. What do you know, Micah? This is a common title. It's the same subject. Continue. Who, who would have guessed, honestly? <laughs> you know? I mean, we have a good time joking about that, but I'm really glad you're here. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to discuss. And you guys, Micah, so I probably should have said this. Micah's got a really cool background where he has worked behind the scenes on Capitol Hill, he's seen some things, okay? And he, whether it was like in political operative kind of stuff or as an actual congressional office staffer at a high level, he's seen some things. And I've talked to him about it off camera before. And so that's why he's going to be a really special guest on this because it's a lot of the faceless people in mm -hmm. our government that we never hear about that often have a lot of power, um, whether it's in the bureaucracies or it's congressional staffers that can make decisions for their bosses, perhaps the ones that don't necessarily care sure. about like with the decisions being made. And it's the staffers that have a lot of the power and can dictate those offices. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this stuff. And we're also going to touch on the paper, but it all kind of coincides with the disarray that probably you've experienced. So maybe just let us know what's your general view on everything right now, the state of things? Because the whole point of this podcast is to evaluate the intentions of the founders versus what is going on today. Yeah, well, absolutely. And I think that, you know, working in Congress gives a unique perspective on what the founders were writing about because mm -hmm. I see and I saw it played out day after day, moment after moment in real time, what they write about and what they extrapolate uh, meaning from in the Federalist Papers. And I, I mean, you're absolutely right. 
that our legislature has vested a lot of power that initially was solely within their control to the executive branch and to to our presidents and to our bureaucratic agencies. And you want to talk about or he talks about the um, the usage of military force um, as a check on, on state power. Uh, but what our founders really never envisioned was the creation of these executive arms of government that had the potential to utilize force in the exact same way that our U.S. military utilizes force, whether it's the FBI, uh, the ATF, or, or any of these other three-letter agencies. They all have an arm and a branch that is designed to enforce their own regulations, oftentimes not even laws, mm -hmm. but regulations in a very violent way. Uh, and so, I mean, people say that the the real power behind government is a threat of violence, right? Mm -hmm. And it's very clear that that threat of violence has shifted from solely being in the power of the legislature to being an executive branch power. I mean, you want to talk about the federal government or rather uh, Congress being able to check the president from from carrying out wars. I mean, go tell that to the citizens of Libya. Right. Go tell <laughs> That's that. That's what we've discussed. I mean, honestly, go tell that to to individuals in Vietnam if you mm -hmm. want to go really far back. Uh, you want to talk about that type of power. Um, the president holds the strings now. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the legislature, which used to move slowly, doesn't really move at all. Yeah. And especially on issues of war making powers. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that is such an important point. And that's when I was reading 26 originally, I thought, wow, I mean, yeah, the U.S. military isn't weaponized against the American people the way that the anti-federalists were concerned about. But oh boy, does the executive branch have the ability yeah. to weaponize the U.S. military against people and make decisions that are sp supposed to be only made by Congress. And it's caused a lot of devastation worldwide. And so I feel horrible about that. And then the idea of the people of America being oppressed and having something weaponized that against them isn't necessarily the military, but it is uh, th these agencies. And mm -hmm. it's really, really scary to look at. Um, and I don't want to go too much into that because we could go into some some weedy territory. Sure. Um, but let's get into this first concept that uh, stuck out to me in number uh, in Federalist 27. Sorry, guys, I'm losing it today. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, Micah, you would think this is funny. Okay. Random tidbit, you guys. I make wooden flags, right? Like that's my business. I've paid off my student loans with that. Zegger's Freedom Flags, a little shout out. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I think everybody I know, that watches <laughs> Freedom Papers knows what like Zegger's Freedom Flags is, so I try not to plug it. But what's so funny is yesterday I was like feeling really inspired by these papers. Yeah. And I was inspired by the have you seen um um the the flag with the pine tree and it's like a call to heaven or a sign. Are you talking about like the old revolutionary war flags? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was mm -hmm. looking at this one. I thought it was beautiful. I can't remember what, it, what it's called either way, but I'm looking at it. I'm like, I should buy a big version of this and put it on my wall. <laughs> and then I spent like a good half an hour on the internet looking up where I could buy one, yeah. a large version. 3D that I could put on my wall. Yeah, I wonder. Um, and then I was like, possibly oh, find that. my workshop. Yeah. So that was. I'm really having a hard time this this week, <laughs> you guys. So please, if I if I stutter or anything, just give me some grace today. Um, Micah, first topic. Let me know your initial reaction to this. Hamilton says, Publius says, I believe it may be laid down as a general rule that their confidence in and obedience to a government will commonly be proportioned to the goodness or badness of its administration. Well, I'd say tell that to the opposing party right after an election and mm. see whether or not they agree with you. Um, I think perhaps back when 
and I think it's important to contextualize mm -hmm. what when he was writing and what he was writing about, uh, because the two-party system within the United States um, sort of began with the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists, um, but was stymied by efforts from Washington to to limit it. And in fact, you know, in his farewell address, he said that one of the greatest threats to the United States that could exist in the future is the formation of a two-party system. Mm. So. Um, in this context, there wasn't the political division that exists within the United States today. And what he's essentially saying is that um, good governance is going to uh, be a check on the uh, the worst instincts of a populace, right? Mm. Um, but unfortunately, with social media the way it is, with the current status of our culture, simply doing a good job as a governor or as an elected representative or as the president of the United States is not enough to remove criticism from yourself wow, or still point. lose up to 50% of the United States population support. Wow. Um, now, that being said, you look at the type of leadership we have right now, and candidly, we're still able to point out individuals that do a bad job. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, their approval rating is a lot lower. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great evaluation considering what's going on today. And you're, you're so right. I mean, think of the results that President Trump brought for the country, and he was still hated by everybody mm -hmm. for fake reasons created by the other side. And I, I think in general, this is such a good point in the sense of like, if you behave in a respectful way, you'll probably get people's respect. And he, they consider it obedience to government in this situation. But it's because in this context, they're talking about it as the anti-federalists were worried about force being used against the people, tyranny, oppression, mm -hmm. it leading to another King George situation. Whereas the federalists were saying, okay, we accept your concerns. And I, I always appreciate this about the federalists. They say something along the lines, they always twist it in the way of like, we are actually addressing your concern. You're worried about this because we're proposing this. We're actually proposing this because it addresses your concern and handles the problem and provides a proper solution. So it's very strategic how they always word it. Right. But they're wording it like this in this paper. And you guys have to read again, the original paper. I'm not going to read it all for you because I'm bad at reading it out loud. But um. The Federalists make a really good point here of like, you guys are concerned about tyranny, you're concerned about force, but the Articles of Confederation, when it's a relationship between the state and the federal government, and there's no relationship between the people and the federal government, and there's no real appreciation of being a member of the larger country as a whole, and you're more so thinking of yourself as like a member of the state, mm -hmm. and you don't have any federal laws that you're really held to, uh, it's really... Uh, the only way to hold people accountable is by force. So the federal government using force against the states or states forming together with the federal government to use force against other states. And that's discussed in previous papers. Um, and so they're saying what we're proposing here is that you can hold bad people accountable in more respectful ways, in more uh, peaceful ways, and by that with the judicial branch specifically. Um, but you don't have to use force. And so the anti-federalist concern about using force to hurt the people, it's being addressed by creating a better system of accountability where you can hold bad actors accountable. And I, I appreciate that they make the argument in that way. Um, I, but I, then again, it, right. creating too strong of a relationship between the federal government yeah. and the people is where we went wrong. Yeah. Now, I would say there is there is some credence to that argument borne out throughout history. And mm -hmm. I think the probably a prime example of that is our, our time frame post the Civil War. Mm. Uh, because when the Civil War took place, you know, the United States was a lot more uh, state-centric. Mm -hmm. uh, individual loyalty was to your state more than yeah. it was to the federal government. But as the federal government began to take on more control, the concept, even the idea, at least in today's day and age, of something like that is a lot, um, a, a lot less likely to occur. Yeah. Um, because 
our idea is that we're Americans, mm -hmm. right? We're not, I'm, I'm from Indiana, but I don't call myself a Hoosier as often as I would call myself an American. But back in the day, that's 100% where they would have thrown their allegiances. But if I can go kind of back just to the start there, I think there's an important contextualizing point that uh, Publius brings up, and that's uh, this idea that in the process of good governance, individuals will take note of it and will understand mm. what it is. And unfortunately, that simply cannot happen today because of the way that social media works, because of the way that information is portrayed. And what our founders didn't realize or perhaps couldn't have realized due to the nature of the technology of their time is that information can, can be very easily skewed to a party perspective once social media and those types of technologies are implemented. Mm. And so the premise of the author is based off of the idea of a well-informed populace. And back during that time period, the American people were incredibly well-read considering the documentation that was available to them. Every book was read cover to cover, mm -hmm. every magazine. When you went from town to town, more often than not, if you had a book that you had read, you would exchange it with someone else simply so that you could read oh, wow. new writings mm -hmm. uh, because that was, that was their library system, right? So the idea of... Uh, Alexei de Tocqueville talks about this um, in uh, in his his writings when he traveled the United States, mm -hmm. and he said that there is no population in the world that is so concerned about the affairs of governance and so motivated to learn about governance. In I mean, Thomas Paine's Common Sense was one of the most widely read books in the United States, mm -hmm. but today. Even with all the information that we have around us, we simply lack in that capability to discern the truth about what constitutes good versus bad governance. And unfortunately, that's something that the authors could never have anticipated uh, during the formation of our Constitution. Uh, Micah, great point. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I love when people can bring in the historical context to it. I think it's really special. Um, that actually reminds me, another point, I don't know if I highlighted it or not to read, but there's another general concept in this paper, and it's the idea that back then uh, you had smaller entities so separate and we were considered such a big country, it was hard to bring all of these separate entities together. And so yeah. we needed to create that national identity. And now it's like, oh, no, we could talk to somebody across the country. In, in a second. The, yeah. uh, yeah, in a, a minuscule moment. And so it's it's just crazy how things have changed. And I wonder, human nature doesn't change, but does our ability to communicate with each other, is it hindering us in that sense of it's it's this toxic impact on, on our political discourse? Yeah. Um, let's move on to the next thing. So later on, Publius says, it will be sufficient here to remark that until satisfactory reasons can be assigned to justify an opinion that the federal government is likely to be administered in such a manner as to render it odious or contemptible to the people, there can be no reasonable foundation for the supposition that the laws of the union will meet with any greater obstruction from them or will stand in need of any other methods to enforce their execution than the laws of their particular members. And so this is discussing that concept of force. Um, back then, that makes sense. Yeah. Now, what is the government able to force onto us via and what are they using to do it? Because this is considering the military. Right. And how can we avoid having to use force to implement laws in this country? Right. If we're all states with our individual laws the way we are with the Articles of Confederation, it's messy. Every state is different. There's no way for the federal government to hold people accountable. And that creates a lot of chaos. And so but now flash forward to today where there is too much power for the federal government to force their ways onto us. And, and how can we get back to that healthy balance and strike that? 
Yeah, well, I think that once again, this is all about the context that the founders wrote these documents in, mm -hmm. right? The Department of Education didn't exist <laughs> back then. The Department of Justice, <laughs> what? the ATF, all of these organizations that exert massive executive control over uh, U.S. policy and over the actions of an everyday citizen mm -hmm. simply did not exist and did not even potentially enter the framers' mind as a possibility mm -hmm. because of the way that information was disseminated and the the way that our state system had been set up. And over the years, um, through programs like the New Deal after the Great Depression, mm. um, honestly, post the Civil War through Reconstruction, things of that nature, the power of the federal government began to be supplemented by bureaucracy, extensive bureaucracy. And these individuals were not elected by uh, any populace. They were not appointed by any judge. They were appointed by one individual, and that was the president of the United States. And those unelected bureaucrats had the ability to shape federal policy and regulation and disseminate that regulation across the entire United States in a very widespread and uh, top-down style of approach. Mm -hmm. And so what we've seen happen in the United States is every education system emulates itself, right? The Department of Education has a standard, and that standard is emulated in every single state. Mm -hmm. And the way they've been able to do it, and this is something that the paper doesn't talk about, but if you can't threaten physical violence, you can threaten fiscal violence. Oh. And the dollar is almost as important as the sword mm -hmm. when it comes to getting something accomplished. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happened uh, since uh, our country was founded through the 21st century. Yeah. I mean, especially now today, the reliance of state governments on the federal government to fund most of their programs and to keep the state budget alive right. uh, on a year-to-year -year basis is incredibly dangerous, I would say, because when you have things like a vaccine mandate or things that can be considered tyrannical, that a state government, their whole purpose is supposed to be to check the federal government in our federalist system. They don't want to speak up against these things coming from the federal government because they need to keep them happy. And so I always joke, like, when I settle down and plant roots for my family, I'm going in a state that doesn't rely on the federal <laughs> government for funds because you're right. Uh, fiscal violence can be quite quite dangerous. Financial violence, whatever right. you called it. Um, and same thing, I always think with this kind of stuff too, of like, it's not an actual law that they're forcing down onto us. But when you sit on a plane and they tell you, you are breaking federal law by not wearing your mask when you are not snacking, it's like, yeah. am, am it's I? It's like, uh, I, I work in Congress. What, what are you which one? Do to I me? don't remember that. Was I sick on that day? But it's so <laughs> aggressive, the language. And yeah. even that alone freaks people out and mm -hmm. they're just kind of like oh never mind yeah. then it's but, fine but that goes back to the whole idea of an informed populace right like oh, if exactly. you don't understand what is and isn't like legally binding yeah then you're going to do whatever someone tells you to do right and that's that is a fundamental issue with the way our, our republic currently operates yeah and not an issue that's going to be fixed at any other level than at the legislative level where it began in mm -hmm. the first place it's time for the legislature to go back to those founding documents and reign in executive overreach mm -hmm. and they have the power to do it and um hopefully they will oh well we've got to get into that discussion after these last couple points from the paper because that's really where the money's at. Um, now, this is interesting. This was the idea that factions, that was all the topic of earlier, I mean, Federalist 10, all those things. We've right. covered all those topics. We're now on 27. What major <laughs> progress we're making, you guys, of 85, though? We've got <laughs> we've got a way to go, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is talking about how factions are a lot less likely to rise up and cause trouble if they know they have to go against the federal government of the United States, not just the state government. And so I, I just think it's interesting considering all of history, what's happening so far. And yeah, I mean, the federal government's scary mm -hmm. now, especially. So I wanted to read this. 
The hope of impunity is a strong incitement to sedition, the dread of punishment, a proportionately strong discouragement to it. Will not the government of the Union, which, if possessed of a due degree of power, can call to its aid the collective resources of the whole Confederacy, be more likely to repress the former sentiment and to inspire the latter than that of a single state, which can only command the resources within within itself? So a federal government is a little scarier and more powerful than a state government if you're considering it an opponent. A turbulent faction in a state may easily suppose itself able to contend with the friends to the government in that state, but it can hardly be so infatuated as to imagine itself a match for the combined efforts of the Union. If this reflection be just, there is less danger of resistance from irregular combinations of of individuals to the authority of the Confederacy than to that of a single member. Oh, you guys, that was pretty good. I mean, we'll, we'll take it. Micah. Yep. I don't even know where my mind's going on this one. Micah, I think of this as like, to me, I'm quite anti-government at this point, anti-federal government in the United States, I should say. I believe in the concept of government. Okay, I'm not an anarchist. But (laughs) to me, I'm thinking of it like, I mean, I kind of wish it was easier for factions to rise up against Mm. the federal government. I don't like the idea that someone says, oh, it's too big of a monster for me to even ever have change. And I think a lot of people have that mindset of like, this is out of my hands. I can't be a part of the change. And so we need to get back into that mindset of, no, this is a federalist system. Mm. And if us as factions that care about issues and want to have positive impact, I'm not talking about a negative, scary, you know, Antifa-like faction, but I think in a positive sense, if we want to have change on a federal level, we should be able to, as individuals in 2022, be a little bit smarter and a little bit more aware of our power that we can coordinate and build a an interest group, if you will, and build a collective community of people that care about these issues and have impact on a local state and then hopefully federal level. I mean, that's the core concept of America, right? So, mm-hmm. so what are your thoughts? I mean, I understand on a negative level, this does make sense. But then on a, a positive way, we're hindered in, in this, this negative mindset in America today. Yeah, no, and I think that uh, there's there's two types of factions mm-hmm. that I think Polius is talking about here. There's uh, the formation of uh, political factions uh, and ideological factions in that sense. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the formation of uh, violent, militaristic, yeah. overthrow style of factions. And the context of that is, you know, we had just formed the United States. Mm-hmm. We as a faction had just rebelled against the British Empire. So they definitely Ooh. understood the importance of that. factions. Yeah, the, the rebels, exactly. the colonists were... were... A faction. 100%. Ooh. And then, you know, just a few years later, Aaron Burr d- d- tried to form his own mm. uh, his own uh, government, governmental system out West. So the idea that a military uh, style of uh, intervention could occur from a small group of people was definitely on their minds. Mm-hmm. And so utilizing the federal government as a check on that was uh, was um, desirable to, to many of our founders and to the author of this piece in that context. However... Uh, it's also important to talk about the ideological factions that you were referencing. And I think it is so important to to reference the idea that our nation was formed by a group of individuals coming together, lifting up their voices, protesting, and forming uh, the basis for our constitutional identity um, and our independent identity prior to violence actually taking place. and you can make the argument that the Boston Tea Party was a little bit violent, but no one died in that pro- process. Yeah. But they swept the decks after. One hundred percent. You know, they were they were there to take care of the janitor's work for them. Uh, <laughs> but unfortunately, we seem to have lost that concept in the United States that you can protest, but protesting simply isn't enough. 
because every time that our founders protested, they furthered that protest through action, action that they found to be legitimate through through different means. You know, before the Revolutionary War took place, they sent representatives to the British government, to parliament, to advocate on their behalf. The concept of no taxation without representation wasn't premised on the idea that we should form our own country. It was in order to tax us, we need to be represented in your government, not form our own in your government. It was only once the British government refused to give them the autonomy to be represented mm -hmm. that they decided to form their own. And so th throughout American history, the idea of peaceful protest only once the peaceful protest fails being uh, replaced with um, legitimate ideological action has been that's been the the, the benchmark for mm -hmm. how the United States moves forward. Unfortunately, in today's day and age, what we see are violent factions that forsake the peaceful protests at the beginning and go straight to violence. And that's never how you initiate reform. That's what happened in France, right? Mm -hmm. You go straight to violence. And unfortunately, that results in the destruction of an empire versus the creation of something glorious. Oh, I love that. And actually, we, we were working on a history project for Turning Point, and uh, it was interesting to be reminded that when we were first fighting the Revolutionary War, we were doing it against a country we had just pledged loyalty to. Because before mm. the Declaration of Independence, the founders, before they became the founders, were fighting in the sense that they did not want to leave mm -hmm. England, they wrote a document and said, we still pledge loyalty to you. We just have a lot of issues that we want to solve as the colonies. Right. Will you help us address it? And then they... England was like, no, we are not interested. The fighting continued. And eventually by 1776, they said, we have to declare independence. One of those reasons was because nobody wanted to join our side and help us fight the war if we were still, right. it was more of like a domestic quarrel. Like nobody wants to get in a fight between a husband and a wife. It's right. just kind of like handle <laughs> your things, please. And so nobody wanted to be our allies because we had still pledged loyalty to somebody we, somebody we were fighting a war against. Mm -hmm. And I find that so interesting, but it makes a lot more sense of how significant that moment was because it also helped us win the war. War by bringing in allies later on right. after the Battle of Saratoga, of course. And I'm from Saratoga, so hmm, very important, obviously, Micah. <laughs> You're steeped in the history. You know, I mean, it's a really <laughs> important place to be from. Just kidding. There's like a horse racing track there, and uh, everybody always says, oh, I'm from the Saratoga racetrack area. And I say, I'm from the Battle of Saratoga battlefield. Yeah. I think Are you aware? <laughs> I think that's the only relevant thing to have happened in Saratoga since the formation of our country, so... That's a really big deal, Micah. I know. And actually, fun fact, um, you can't hunt on the battlefield. And so everybody wants the hunting land that's uh, around it because it's where the big bucks are. I don't know. Um, okay. So we could keep referencing this paper, but it's, it's kind of monotonous in the sense that it's the same subject. It's just a couple pages. I'm interested in getting your information. Share what is going on. You mentioned a little bit earlier that we have the power to actually bring this kind of change at the legislative level. What is it? What you got for us? Well, I, I think it's it starts with uh, making sure that the individuals in our government represent our value systems. Mm. And uh, that starts by making sure that they know what they are in the first place, right? And it's very easy to be against things. And in the United States, the majority of people are against more policies than they can articulate which ones they're for. Uh, specifically um, with um, different movements uh, that you and I would ascribe to. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's incredibly important if we want to institute real change to to tell people what type of change we want to see in the world and then go emulate that change ourselves and um, 
then the leaders that we appoint will hopefully emulate that change too. And I think yeah. our founders are a great example of that. Uh, they didn't just talk about the reasons they were upset with Britain. They put forward the country that they wanted to see in the future. And then once they had articulated their ideology and laid the base work and the groundwork for a nation that they wanted to bring up out of the ashes, they didn't just sit on their laurels and talk about their philosophies. They went out and they acted and they created that nation themselves. Mm. So I think it's important to understand what you believe, why you believe it, and how you want to promote that belief on a nationwide scale, and then go out and do it. Mm. Go find those opportunities yourself. They exist. I found that uh, opportunities in my own personal life through the work that I do. There are avenues for every individual and every citizen. And our founding fathers were men and women, founding fathers, founding founding mothers were men and women just like us. Mm -hmm. They went out and they were farmers, they were blacksmiths, they were surveyors. Uh, George Washington was a surveyor before he was anything else. Did you know I held his compass? Did you I know see that you did. picture of me? Yeah, I did see it. Yeah. Mm. I was incredibly I have two jealous. cool things about me. Battle of Saratoga, <laughs> George Washington compass. Yeah. Yeah. I did not wear his dentures. Um, was that Anthony or Dom behind the camera? You nasties. Um, no, but what's really cool is his compass. He used it so much. He only had that one that mm -hmm. he really used. His finger divot is in the compass. And they let me put my finger to touch the divot. I actually hate you with burning passion right now. You can literally come with me. We'll talk about this Okay, later. we'll discuss it's it. It's like an open museum for yeah. people to go to. <laughs> but sure, hate me. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think it's just to reiterate, like, we have the power within us to shape mm -hmm. our nation in the same way that our founders shaped our nation. Um, the only difference is most Americans don't believe they can. Oh, yeah. Ooh. So conquer that belief. Spicy. Yeah. No, I love that. I think I, mean, I would talk about this a lot with like, I get so frustrated because when the vaccine mandate thing came down, everybody was messaging me in my network and they were like, does this mean I have to quit my job? Like, <laughs> is that how I don't comply? Is that is that my step against tyranny? And I'm yeah. like, no, 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 no. We are in a federalist system. Like this is a this is a mandate coming what from the CDC yeah. or OSHA passed down through the bureaucracy. I was like, this is not how it works. What we do next is organize on a community level, business level, employee, employer level, work with the businesses that also agree with us, make mm -hmm. sure we build these local coalitions, meet with our sheriff's department, say, are you going to enforce these things? Meet with local leaders, state level leaders, and then work together to build this. Like we have, we have a voice here and Obviously, me like posting on Twitter one thing is, yes, I'm using my voice in a way, yeah. but there's there's a lot of power when we come together and use the power the way our founders intended it to. Yeah. Action doesn't stop at social media. It simply Urgh. begins with the words and ends with your feet hitting the door frame and going out to the world. <laughs> Micah, so powerful. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so but, but like, to get invited back I need some <laughs> I need some powerful information on top of that. Like, what yeah. do you see when you were on Capitol Hill specifically? Like, okay. What are the problems that us average Joe schmoes who sit here and have to like wonder what goes on in swampland? What are we missing in terms of the how bad it actually is there? Well, I think there's a couple of things. I think that there's um, that the powers that be have recognized that moving people based off of their ideology is a good way to control a large population. Mm. So um, I think, for example, anyone that breaks with party ranks and votes for a certain bill because they believe that bill is beneficial to their constituents often gets slammed by their own political party for doing it. Mm. So I think recognizing that uh, representatives are there to represent their constituents first and not necessarily the nation as a whole, right? Mm. So what they do for their district may be beneficial for them uh, and that's their job 
and they shouldn't be dinged for doing it, right? Now, is that though? Where isn't that where we get pork and problems with that? Because everybody has their own little things to fund, and it's like, listen, this isn't even the role of the federal government to be handing out funds like this. You need to stop. But everybody's so self interested in their district to get reelected. So, like, how do you promote the issues in your district without it furthering the pork and the growth of the federal government where it's not even constitutional? Well, so I think that there's that's that's a multifaceted approach. Okay. Um, and I think that yes, number one, there's way too much pork, way too much government spending, absolutely. Yeah. But the way to, to check that is to check the style of power that the government has over its constituents and mm -hmm. has over its citizens. And the way that you do that is through legislative action uh, that limits executive power, limits increased taxation, abolishes, abolishes, for example, and this is a little radical, abolishes the income tax, right? Oh. That didn't exist in the United States for a very long period of time, oh. but has given the government excessive amounts of money, which are then doled out in order to keep politicians in line, yeah. right? Because if the politician strays from the party line or strays from the governmental line or where they want them to be, suddenly they no longer receive the funding that they need for the district. And from a party perspective, don't receive the funding for their next uh, for their next go at it mm -hmm. on, on the federal level. Yeah. I mean, can you actually explain what's this committee situation? Do you actually have to pay to be on a committee to represent the issues of your district? There's definitely, it's not that cut and dry, uh -huh. um, but there's- Explain it for like the normal people like me. Yeah. So uh, leadership, um, depending on which party's in power, mm -hmm. uh, and even the parties that aren't in power, will assign committee positions to members of Congress uh, before the what's up and coming, the 118th Congress would start. Mm -hmm. um, and those p committee positions are decided by individuals and in leadership with input from members, but individuals in leadership. So if you have a a, a way to uh, pad the odds, as it were, that you get certain committee positions, that's definitely uh, something that happens. Also, if someone wants to be speaker, you know, that's a vote by the House of Representatives to determine who is speaker. So that person who's running may say, hey, I will make sure that you get this committee position if you vote for me for speaker. Mm. Um, things like that happen all the time. And they're yeah. not just exclusive to the federal government, yeah. but they definitely have a much greater impact when this the fate of a nation is on the line. Yeah, no, thank you for explaining that. Because you, you have a very unique perspective on this where you've been a staffer right behind a lot of the stuff that's going on. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate your perspective. And so just to clarify, that means the way that you can pad your your chances of getting on the committees that you want, which means being able to handle the issues that your district really cares about is to give money to political parties, right? That that That's an option. Theoretically, that could be happening, yeah. Oh, is this like something that isn't said? Well, I mean, is I don't want to allege that members of Congress are committing criminal acts, but that would oh, be a criminal act. That's a criminal... Hmm. Oh, it's 100% a criminal act, yeah. I'm going to investigate this for the Freedom Papers podcast audience. Um, Micah. Do you have any last things that you want us to be aware of, of like, where should our focus be? People on this podcast, listen, you are a unique person if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> and I thank you very much for caring enough to learn about the Federalist Papers. I mean, really, if imagine if more people did that. It's really, really something to take just an hour of your time, a half an hour of your time. We're doing shorter podcast episodes to learn about our nation's founding. So, Micah, what are your final thoughts for people that are listening based on your experiences? you got some special experiences. The system that we have uh, in place in Washington, as broken and corrupt as it may be, mm -hmm. is still astronomically better than the systems of government that have existed across the world for, for hundreds of years. What's broken can be fixed, uh, and it starts with understanding how we got here, and that starts with our founding principles. <gasps>
listen to Freedom Papers. <laughs> oh, Micah, what a blessing you are as a guest. <laughs> Thank Am I a good here. host or what? I'm so oh, yeah, sorry. Guys, I'm so sorry. I'm so awkward. Uh, I can really just read old papers, and that's the only thing I could do. I can't speak to humans. Uh, Micah, thank you for joining. Of I course. appreciate it, and we'd love to have you back next time you're in studio. We'd love to do that. Thank you guys for listening, and remember to subscribe. Give us five stars. Watch our pretty faces on YouTube, Turning Point USA's YouTube channel. Uh, I really appreciate it, and you can follow me at Morgan.Zeggers on Instagram. Micah, do you have an Instagram? Yeah, it's Micah Bach, M-I-C-A-H-B-O-C-K. Will I see you at YWLS? I will be there in a work capacity for about a day and a half, yeah. Oh, wonderful. Well, ladies, we'll see him there. <laughs> <laughs>